Welcome to the Sheila Kama Extractive Podcast. Uh, today, my guest is Charles Yirahuku. Charles is a Rwandese by uh, descent and a former colleague of mine at the uh, African Development Bank. Charles is an energy and petroleum specialist and occupies the role of chief guest specialist at the African Natural Resource Center of the ADB. He leads technical and policy advice on development of gas resources in the region. Uh, Previously, he led the development of a methane gas project in his home country as Lake Kiwi region in the Lake Districts of Africa. Charles, how nice uh, to speak with you again after so long. Thank you for joining me. Hello, Sheila. Uh, It's a pleasure joining this podcast. Fantastic. So I, I wanted to to benefit from your knowledge of the uh, natural gas uh, value chain. Uh, just starting with you telling us, you know, in the petroleum sector, what is it that makes the uh, LNG value chain different from other petroleum products? Uh, thank you very much, Sheila. Let me uh, start off by um, explaining uh, what uh, LNG value chain is all about. Uh, Value addition in the LNG uh, value chain involves processing natural gas into products that have higher value than the raw material itself. So this uh, can include liquefaction, transportation, regasification, and other processing steps that create products such as uh, LNG, uh, liquefied petroleum gas, and other chemicals. Um, LNG has increasingly uh, become uh, cheap and fast uh, to implement, and therefore it has become uh, a technology of choice uh, for developing uh, offshore Uh, gas reserves. We see also an increasing interest in exploring smaller volumes of stranded gas assets through uh, small LNG trains. So these trains are smaller in size and have simpler configurations, allowing for easier standardization and modularization resulting in cost and execution time savings. Yeah, so basically, if if I understand what you're saying is that the gas value chain in terms of the economics of uh, value addition, but also in terms of the technology that has historically been deployed has changed. And that because of this technology, it's increasingly more attractive to invest in LNG and it's also increasingly faster to uh, produce and distribute LNG. Would that be correct, Charles? Indeed, uh, that is uh, correct, both in terms of uh, a technology, which is uh, much simpler and easier to deploy and economics. On top of that, um, LNG uh, provides a very secure way uh, to guarantee 
market supplies. Whereas a natural gas pipeline, which sometimes uh, is subject to uh, geopolitics, you know, as we have seen in Europe, where uh, the Russian, uh, you know, gas pipeline to Europe have been uh, interrupted, and therefore Europe uh, market has to rely on LNG imports, which are really not uh, subject to geopolitics. Hmm. That's another benefit of using LNG uh, as a, a, a channel for uh, gas uh, transportation as opposed to uh, the traditional uh, gas pipeline. So given the technological advantage and the uh, lack of reliance on geopolitical borders and, and geopolitical arrangements, uh, when dealing with LNG, what are some of the uh, other challenges that might face, uh, say, African countries that are first-time LNG producers in trying to add value to the product? Yes, in terms of uh, challenges uh, facing African countries, uh, especially emerging countries, uh, that wish to add value to LNG. Uh, one could note uh, the lack of infrastructure and uh, technological capabilities for LNG processing. Uh, in many, many countries rich with natural gas, we see there is an absence of liquefaction plants or regasification terminals. Additionally, the high costs associated with uh, the establishment of such infrastructure pose a significant challenge for African countries. So uh, speaking broadly, um, we are talking here about how these countries are able to attract uh, capital uh, into uh, uh, very, very costly LNG uh, investment projects. And that is really uh, one of the key uh, challenges uh, these countries are facing. Sure. So you spoke earlier about technology enabling uh, production of uh, associated products uh, much quicker and relatively easier than it has been traditional. What are some of the uh, products that could come out of uh, processing and value-adding to LNG? Yeah, um, when you look at uh, the chemistry of uh, LNG itself, uh, you would see that LNG is mostly uh, methane, uh, but we have also uh, smaller uh, other chemicals in smaller quantities. So processing LNG, uh, can produce uh, several other products, uh, including uh, liquefied petroleum gas, uh, which is used for heating and cooking, uh, and other chemicals such as ethane, propane, and cutane. So all these products uh, can be used in a variety of industries, uh, including uh, petrochemicals, transportation, and power generation. So in addition to this, um, 
uh, you know, uh, traditional uh, products, uh, helium, helium also, which is a rare gas, uh, uh, can also, um, you know, be uh, a, a derived from LNG uh, value chain. Uh, helium, uh, uh, some of the applications with helium include, include uh, cryogenics, uh, welding, and medical uh, imaging. Hmm. Uh, some of these products, uh, how much of a market does Africa have for some of the, if you wish, intermediate products before, for instance, you get to the consumer uh, stage where you, you might look at packaging, but how big a market does Africa offer? Or does Africa have to be looking largely to the export market to benefit from this value addition? Uh, yes, um, currently, uh, we have to know that um, Africa uh, exports almost of, uh, most of its LNG uh, products uh, either to Europe, Asia, and, uh, and to the US. Uh, there are almost uh, not much uh, LNG produced in Africa is consumed in Africa. But this needs to change. Uh, so according to according to statistics, uh, Africa produced about uh, 257 billion cubic meters of natural gas in 2021 and exported uh, 58 billion cubic meters of LNG, corresponding to 42 million tons, which amounts for uh, to about 5.7% of global LNG exports. So basically, Africa, uh, with 5.7% of global LNG export, is a relatively small player in the industry. Yeah. Uh, however, uh, some estimates see African LNG export growing uh, to 60 million tons by 2025 and 74 million by 2030. Uh, which means that there's a, a good prospect in terms of the, uh, the growth of LNG uh, to the global markets in the next five to ten years. Mm. So a couple of questions uh, on this uh, relative level of consumption uh, in relation to production in Africa. First, uh, Charles, how unique is this? We have in the Middle East, we have Russia, we have uh, Canada, and of course, uh, Australia, who are major producers of gas. Uh, are these countries more focused on internal consumption in comparison to Africa, or is it just the nature of uh, the commodity markets that the rest of the world does also export gas? Yeah, when you look at these countries uh, you have just mentioned, um, you will see that um, um, when you look at the structure of the markets, uh, uh, you will see that these countries are basically using LNG uh, for export, uh, given the nature of the product itself. 
uh, uh, LNG is the most convenient way uh, to export uh, gas over long distances. So there is no point of um, developing an LNG pro project with uh, in mind uh, looking at the internal uh, market. That is why you see uh, Australia uh, exporting most of its LNG to South Asia. Uh, you see um, Qatar exporting LNG to Europe. And uh, closer to us, Tanzania, Mozambique, and Senegal are new LNG uh, producers who basically will be exporting uh, over 80 to 90% of the output. And so it's, it has to do with the nature of the market and the, the product itself, which is basically uh, meant for exports. Mm. So what does that tell us then, Charles, about the potential role of LNG as, uh, uh, if you wish, uh, an intermediary between, say, uh, get, uh, coal and oil in the transition to clean energy in the African continent? Do you envision then that gas will play a very small role in contributing to the energy mix on the continent, given the nature of LNG? Yeah, um, I believe that um, uh, the energy transition really provides or could create opportunities uh, for uh, uh, expanding LNG uh, markets into uh, the uh, African continent. And um, there is many reasons uh, to that. Uh, the first reason is that um, when you look at uh, the African development trajectory, you find that uh, electricity access is still a big challenge with uh, about 600 billion uh, Africans with no uh, access to power and another 900 million of households uh, not uh, accessing clean cooking. Uh, LNG and gas in general um, could provide a quick and cheap solution to addressing uh, the energy deficit uh, in the continent. So the way this can be can be uh, implemented uh, uh, is uh, by tapping and monetizing uh, African uh, LNG uh, resources. Um, as you have seen, um, many, many, many countries in Africa uh, have started uh, looking at uh, putting into place LNG import uh, terminals. For instance, you have uh, in Ghana, uh, we have uh, uh, basically most of the countries uh, in the Gulf of Guinea. Uh, we are seeing uh, increasingly uh, countries looking at small, small LNG uh, to, as a way to bridge uh, the energy gap uh, they are facing. So, the transition to clean energy really um, 
will provide a huge, huge opportunity for expanding LNG markets in Africa. Sure. One point we, really, we need to mention is that uh, in the context of uh, the, uh, the energy transition, although uh, African leaders are embracing the clean energy transition, and uh, of course the region has enormous uh, renewable energy potential, they're also arguing that they must be able to develop the fossil fuel, uh, the fossil energy resources to meet the economic development needs and provide um, access to modern energy for the populations. So this potential uh, is growing uh, and uh, clearly LNG will play a pivotal role uh, in the transition to a low carbon future for the country. Sure. So, so if I understand you correctly, you are saying, uh, from a develop, there is uh the use of LNG for purposes of electrifying the continent, but there's also the uh use of LNG as a resource, uh, to uh fire up economies, and and I guess it is here uh, that um the export and the revenue makes sense and then that revenue might then be used to generate energy uh tapping uh renewables in this sense you spoke of uh, uh senegal you spoke of mozambique we of course have tanzania uh, as newcomers and then we have long players like nigeria angola and algeria that have been in the space for a very long time and and many of these uh, countries have state-owned entities when you think about policies and, and development in the LNG uh, resource space, what is the most important contribution that state-owned entities can make in unleashing this uh, economic potential that is offered by uh, LNG uh, resources, etc.? Yeah, you're right uh, to point out to the role of uh, state-owned enterprises um, as the key, key uh, players. We know that um, state-owned enterprises um, are very big corporations. Uh, they've uh, most of them have a huge, huge uh, access to, to capital. So they can play a key role in promoting value addition by investing in uh, infrastructure uh, and technology. Uh, or if they, have, uh, they are constrained, uh, state-owned com uh, companies can partner uh, with private companies to develop new projects. Uh, the case uh, of um, Mozambique and, and, and Senegal are quite interesting. We see uh, state-owned companies in Senegal, uh, Petrostrack, you know, partnering with uh, international companies. We have uh, companies like British Petroleum, uh, Talo, and others um, under different um, arrangements, like production sharing arrangements, joint ventures, and to come up with a business model which allow uh, investments uh, to flow in uh, infrastructure projects. 
especially uh, this can be done even in circumstances where uh, host country government uh, don't have necessarily the capability to mobilize uh, capital uh, for these projects. Um, state and companies as well um, can use you know, uh, a resource-based loan. Uh, having, uh, they, they can use the resource, actually the oil, which is uh, in the ground as a collateral to be able to raise uh, funding uh, for investment uh, in uh, value addition. Uh, so this is uh, really uh, great for these countries uh, and many, many, many other uh, countries are, you know, uh, need really to strengthen uh, the state-owned enterprises to make them uh, credit-worthy, uh, to make them technologically savvy, uh, so that they are able really to play uh, this role. Yeah, this this is interesting. The your reference to partnerships between state-owned enterprises and uh, multinational corporations, albeit in different ways, is an interesting one because, of course, as you said, it it, it de-risks uh, the project financially in the eyes of some, but it also facilitates immediate uh, access to technology. But but I do have to ask. Uh, in the absence of that, and given that development finance institutions uh, have been quite reluctant to fund uh, oil and gas projects, what does this do to the prospects for the industry uh, and uh, specifically the ability of state-owned entities to then uh, value-add to uh, LNG resources? Yeah, thank you very much. Um, yes, you are, you, are, you, are, you are right saying that the loan financing institutions really uh, are reluctant. Uh, but we need also to remember that the um, bond financing institutions have not traditionally uh, been um, the big uh, uh, you know, uh, sources of financing in the oil and gas value chain. Uh, rather, GFIs uh, tend to come uh, uh, um, at the downstream uh, in terms of supporting uh, downstream infrastructure like power, power production uh, or uh, gas distribution infrastructure. Nevertheless, uh, access to financing uh, is very crucial for developing the necessary infrastructure capabilities. Uh, and without sufficient support from GFIs, um, it just adds to the challenges uh, African countries are facing in attracting investment and implementing value addition initiatives. So, what what are what are the alternatives? Um, I think um, we are now uh, we have to look at alternative uh, sources of, of financing, um, and African countries could seek. Um, to try and tap funding uh, from uh, private, private sector uh, investment. Uh, as I've said earlier, uh, partnerships 
uh, with international oil and gas companies, which have uh, uh, proven very successful in the past. Um, there's also a potential for um, uh, African countries to leverage domestic resources um, to support uh, value addition activities. And uh, where, for, for example, uh, uh, oil refinery uh, in Nigeria, one of the largest uh, oil refinery uh, refineries worldwide, which is being developed by private sector, uh, a private sector company called uh, Dangote Refineries. So domestic resources could prove to be uh, an interesting um, way to mobilize funding uh, for uh, gas value chain development. Another way government can play a role is to implementing policies and incentives uh, to de-risk uh, investment in uh, the gas sector. Uh, and uh, some such, such as tax breaks um, and subsidies, and overall putting in place uh, a conducive business environment which could attract uh, private sector investment uh, in this sector. Mm. So, so far we, we have spoken uh, about what are fairly large uh, deposits as Mozambique, um, Algeria, which has been added for decades, Angola and uh, Nigeria, and a little less so Senegal. I wanted to get a sense from you. When we think about the economics of LNG, how important is scale? Uh, how, how easy is it to develop an economically uh, secure returns from deposits that are relatively uh, smaller? And would such deposits lend themselves more to domestication of consumption than perhaps large uh, export-orientated LNG terminals? Yeah, the economies of scale uh, are quite uh, important uh, and critical in terms of um, uh, uh, maximizing the returns uh, on investment. And um, we've seen um, most of the LNG uh, projects we have uh, or under development in, uh, on the continent have a capacity of about, above five uh, MTA, so mega, mega ton per annum, which is considered uh, like um, the smallest uh, LNG uh, size you can have um, based on the current uh, you know, technology. Uh, nevertheless, um, we, we have seen increasingly uh, small LNG or mini LNG uh, schemes uh, coming up, uh, especially uh, in countries where you have uh, a, a sizable demand, internal demand, and you don't need to ship uh, LNG over a long distance. You have seen many small and mini LNG uh, 
uh, projects coming up in countries like Nigeria. And these small uh, LNGs, of course, they don't have the same, they don't attract the same appetite uh, from uh, the private investor because of the, in terms of the returns. But where the market is mature, um, the domestic market is really secured, uh, those can be uh, fast and easy way uh, to monetize um, natural gas resources. But overall, um, we, we are seeing overall that um, with long-term offtake uh, agreements, uh, it is uh, possible to de-risk um, LNG pro pro projects in ensuring that the revenues are secured over a period of 15 to 20 years. And this is the trend uh, you have seen in most of the LNG development schemes. When uh, these development schemes are tied to a long-term optic uh, agreement, it makes it easier uh, to come up with a strong uh, and robust uh, you know, uh, economics. And this has allowed many projects to, um, to be sanctioned and to get to the financial de uh, this, uh, investment decision thanks to this kind of uh, structured uh, uh, arrangement. Yes, I, I, an offtake agreement always gives uh, financiers and project developers uh, confidence, uh, because at least they have certainty of income and, and improves immediately the bankability of uh, a resource project. Well, Charles, that's all we had time for. I found your uh, comments insightful, and thank you very much for joining the Shilakama Extractive Podcast. Thank you very much. It was a very, very uh, interesting conversation and I'm pleased to have contributed to this debate. Thank you.